So I have a bad habit, and I imagine some of you have this habit too. And I know it's bad for me because it makes my life worse. Often I feel drained after engaging in this activity. I don't feel good about myself or others. What is it, you ask? I spend at least an hour a day reading online news. Now there's nothing wrong with being informed, but when I find myself doom scrolling down the New York Times app, something has gone wrong. That doesn't mean I haven't tried to reduce the amount of information I get online. I quit Facebook in May of 2020. I just had it. And during the opening days of the Ukraine war, I turned off notifications from my news app so I wasn't constantly distracted or anxious. But I still have this habit that I can't seem to shake entirely. I'm still drawn like a moth to flame to bad news. And maybe you're like this too. Social scientists say that most humans have a negativity bias which means that we tend to be drawn more to things that are, are negative in nature, bad news or threats. And it seems to begin in infancy. It makes sense from a survival standpoint. Back when saber-toothed tigers were roaming the earth, people who stayed alert for such threats had a better chance to live. Those who stopped to smell the roses had a better chance to get eaten. In its proper context, the negativity bias looking for the bad or the threatening is a gift from God given to us to survive in a fallen world. But today there are no more saber-toothed tigers running around. Most of us don't suffer from these sorts of existential threats. There are other threats, sure, but not like that, yet the negativity bias seems, is still running rampant. How many of us are quick to believe the absolute worst about someone or, or a situation when we get bad news or a bad report? Thank you. I am too sometimes. I appreciate that. How many of us suffer from chronic anxiety, distrust of our neighbors, or increasing hopelessness about ourselves or our world? Yep. Yep, me too. And worse, how many of us can't seem to hear the good news when, when we get it? How many of us are so easy to discount anything good as a fluke? Jesus' ministry also began in an anxious time, a time of bad news. While there was a measure of peace enforced by uh, Emperor Augustus and his, and his deputies, things were tough for most of the population. In our reading, John's ministry comes to a sudden end. That, we hear that right away. Chapter 6, later on, will tell us that John made Herod Antipas, Tetrarch of Galilee, angry by daring to hold him accountable for his adulterous relationship. So Herod silences John by throwing him into prison. So Jesus surely knew what he was getting into. He knew Israel's history. He knew what happened to prophets 
that dared to tell powerful people the truth. Yet Jesus knew something else, too. The time had arrived. In a world awash in bad news, where the poor sink further into destitution, where the oppressed are firmly under the boot of their oppressor, where truth-telling is more often than not punished, where an enriched few keep peace through violence, here in Jesus was at last good news. Not the good news of Rome, which celebrated subjugation and repression. Not the good news of other would-be messiahs, which, who promised the kingdom through violence. But good news of God's shalom realm. Good news of God's shalom realm. Not a realm in a far-off heaven. Not a realm where citizenship is granted by keeping the law perfectly. Not a realm of revenge, but the very realm of God's reign come to earth. A realm preached and embodied by Jesus. A flesh and blood human being from a podunk town in Galilee who is also the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord and giver of life. The bad news of John's arrest kicked off Jesus' proclamation of the good news of a new way of being, a new way of life. Notice that Jesus begins his public ministry by preaching. That's the very first thing he does. He preaches before he heals anyone or casts out any demons or does any miracles. Jesus preaches. Sometimes you hear a well-meaning person, uh, and usually this sort of quote ends up on Facebook or some, or some other kind of social media, wanting to emphasize uh, the importance of right behavior. They'll trot out this quote, which is wrongly attributed to St. Francis. Preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel when necessary, use words. And yeah, okay, I can get it a little bit. I mean, our measure of our faith is in what we do. The gospel, many of us preach, is the gospel of our living. The gospel of our lives is a sermon. But before it is anything else, the gospel is words. The gospel is words. The good news of Jesus Christ can't simply be modeled through right behavior because good deeds on their own don't tell us much. Al Capone ran a soup kitchen, after all. And uh, I brought up Hitler a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to bring him up again. Hitler restored national pride and prosperity. Now, if Christians are doing good work, but can't give an account for the hope that is in them, as Second Peter says, then the work on its own won't reach anyone. Works on them, their own don't tell us much. They have to be supported by something, by a certain kind of hope. But Jesus tells us right away the reason for the hope within him. God's kingdom is at hand. It is here whether we like it or not. As Luther explains, 
God's kingdom comes on its own without our prayer. But God's kingdom is not a solitary one. Rather, it is open to all people, all who need a fresh start for their lives. By the way, Luther finishes that, that uh, thought by saying, but we ask in this prayer, that petition of the Lord's Prayer that says, thy kingdom come, that it also may come to us. It's open to all who need a chance to turn from their old way of life. This kingdom can't be preached by one person. Jesus is not going to do this by himself. His next task is to assemble a cadre of preachers. And that's what these fishermen are called to be. They're called to be preachers. Now, I'm uneasy with the term fishers of, of people, or as, you know, we heard the catchy song and it's in my head now. Thanks a lot. But that's, that's just fine. It's a good song to have in your head. Or as, uh, you know, we, we called it fishers of men. And we actually, we still did call it fishers of men. I was going to make a days of yore joke. For, but uh, nope, uh, we still call it that. So, but even, if, you know, it reminds me of this. I once saw this horrible cartoon which showed a grinning fisherman holding up his catch with the caption, Be ye fishers of men, you catch him, he'll clean him. <laughs> which is kind of dark when you think about it. But the, the image also makes me uneasy for another reason. Whenever people are caught like fish in the Old Testament, they're caught for judgment. But Jesus is turning that image on its head. He's talking about a different sort of catching, a different sort of cleaning. It's a catching not for condemnation, but for new life. These fishermen are called to preach, to proclaim God's kingdom at hand, to call people to change their hearts and minds, to live in God's empire of grace, love, and shalom, instead of Rome's empire of domination, abuse, and exploitation. They're called to bring people into God's realm, not as peons or serfs or peasants, but as co-heirs and co-rulers. They're called to bring people to repentance, not through threats or humiliation, but through showing them the consequences of living according to Rome's way. In a world full of bad news, these fishermen sent by Jesus will come with a surprising kind of good news, a subversive kind of good news. Rome's way is not the only way. Rome's way doesn't lead to life. God's realm of shalom which gives us wholeness of life, is at hand and is open to you and to me. You and I, friends, are also called to be among his cadre of preachers. Proclamation of the gospel is not just something that happens for about 10 to 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. 